All right, well, we're going to go ahead and continue this little mini-series this morning. And this morning I've entitled the message, If We Fall Down. So if you recall, we started this whole thing saying that, you know what, as, as, a, as a new believer, that you are made brand new. You're more than just forgiven, but you're actually made free from the bondage of sin and death. That you've been made brand new, that you're no longer stuck in that person that you used to be. And then we talked about even so, last week we talked about even so, even though you're made brand new, that doesn't mean you're going to go through life without facing some temptation, without the enemy trying to get you to, uh, to, to do some stuff that you used to do that's not who you are anymore. And finally, this morning, we're going to go ahead and look at what happens if you do succumb, succumb to that temptation. Because I believe that as Christians, we can and should live our lives completely sin-free. But I also understand that sometimes we don't. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes we stumble. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, what happens when I stumble? Does that mean that I'm not saved anymore? Did, did God just give me one shot? He said, you know what? We went ahead and got you saved. All your sins up to that point are forgiven, but from here on out, you're on your own. And the, the answer to that is no, we're not on. God didn't just give us one shot. He didn't say, you know what, if you mess up, it's over. You're done with. You should have got it right. But instead, as believers, if we fall, we just need to make sure that we get back up. Did anybody ever see that movie Robin Hood with uh, uh, Kevin Costner in it? No? Yeah, one person saw it. Oh, that, was, that was actually a pretty good movie, interestingly enough. You, you would, well, all, the, all the Robin Hoods have a blind guy. <laughs> the, the Robin Hood with uh, Robin Hood men in tights. It's got uh, the blind guy's name is Blinken. And they have him up in a, uh, a guard tower. He's a blind guy in the guard tower. And he's looking out like this. And he goes, Blinken, what are you doing? He goes, I'm guessing. I guess nobody's coming. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> So anyway, in this movie, Robin Hood is fighting Little John. And he's got uh, 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 the Moor, I forget his name, but he's with him. And, and he's in the, they're fighting in this river, and he's getting, he's getting beat up, and he's down. He gets knocked down. And, and Robin Hood looks at, at Morgan Freeman, who's, who's the Moor's companion with him at the time, and he says, any ideas? And Morgan Freeman says, get up, move faster. And I think that's great advice for us as Christians. If you fall down, what's your advice? Get back up. Move faster. Do, do it the right way. But the key is always getting back up. Because there's only one way to fail as a Christian. Do you know there's only one way to fail as a Christian? And that's to not get back up. If you stay down, if you give your salvation back and you just give up and say, you know what, this isn't for me, that's the only way to fail as a Christian. It's much like a boxer in a boxing ring. You know that you can be a boxer and you can get knocked down and still get up and win the fight. If you endure to the end. And much like a boxer has to get back up, even when they get knocked down, even when you get your lights punched out and you're laying on the mat and you can't see straight, as long as you get back up, you can still finish the fight. Amen? The truth is, the enemy wants you to stay down on that mat. He doesn't want you to get back up. The reality is, is that you are victorious in Christ. Even if you fall... You are victorious. You can get back up and continue in your victory. But the enemy doesn't want you to get back up. He doesn't want you to win. He wants to drag you down with him. And the only danger in that is that for some reason, it seems like sometimes if we stay down, it's just easier. 
Anybody ever felt like something? It's just easier to do the wrong thing sometimes, to not live a godly life. You ever wondered why that is? Sometimes when I'm, when I'm living, a, the, you know, doing everything right, I'm living godly, I'm, I'm just walking in step with the Spirit, and sometimes life is hard. Things are coming at me and trying to knock me down, and I'm like, why is it like this? But it's because we're walking in opposition to the devil. If you're walking against him, if you're pushing against him, then you're going to feel opposition. But if you don't feel any opposition, if you feel like it's just easier, maybe it's because you're walking in the same direction. Let's go ahead and get started. First, I want to lay some groundwork uh, before we get started. Because this is important to understand as Christians. This is foundational. Romans 3.28, it says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And all that simply means is, is that you know what? You're not saved by the things that you do. You're not saved if you read your Bible. You're not saved for coming to church or you go to enough Bible studies. You're not saved if you help enough little old ladies across the street or pull enough cats out of trees. It doesn't matter what you do. That's not what saves you. The truth is, is that one is justified by faith, by trust in Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law. Now, the key thing that we need to know out there is that, one, we have to understand that If you fall down, you're still saved because if it wasn't your works that got you saved in the first place, how can your works make you unsaved? If it wasn't your perfect living that got you saved, how can it be poor living that gets you unsaved? Those two don't go together. It's by faith that we are saved. Salvation was never yours because you lived perfectly or got it all right. Salvation was yours because you decided to trust in Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for you. And he gave up his life so that you could be made righteous. It wasn't your works, it was his works that made you saved. And if that's the case, then you can't lose your salvation for slipping up, by falling down, for making a mistake. Now, I want you to hear me. What I'm not saying is is that You're saved by faith, so that means you can do anything that you want to do. It's not a license to sin. It doesn't mean that because we got saved, we can do anything that we want. Because the reality is, is like we talked about a couple weeks ago, is when you got saved, you were changed on the inside. You were made brand new. You were freed from all that gunk and junk and sin and bondage that you were in. You were completely freed from that. You don't have to do that stuff anymore. It has no control over your life. It doesn't mean that you're free to do all that stuff because you've got to get out of jail free card. So the reality is, is, is this is more about an attitude of heart. You know, as a Christian, we should be living without sin. Sin for the Christian should be abnormal. It should be a rare thing. It should be the result of a, a, a stumble or a trip up, not the result of your everyday life. If that's the life that you're living, if you're living into it regularly, then the attitude of your heart is that this is okay. When you slip up, are you repentant or is it just something you do every day? Because if you're a Christian, sin grinds against you. Sin rubs you the wrong way. It rubs you right. It hurts. You're you're going the wrong way. Have you guys ever ever seen, uh, man, the only thing I can think of in my head right now is a porcupine. I don't know why. 
but it makes sense for the illustration. If you have a porcupine and you rub your hands backwards across it where you're laying the quills down, it's not going to do anything to you. As long as you don't go the other way. Or it's kind of like those, you ever seen those severe tire damage signs where you can drive over in one direction, but if you go the other way, it just, it'll blow your tires out. That's kind of like sin to a Christian. If you're, if you're living in, I mean, that should really be grinding against you. It should be causing, it's causing pain because that's not who you are. That's completely against your new nature. And the attitude of your heart at that point should be one of repentance. The truth is, the only way to lose your salvation, the gift that was given freely to you, is to give it back. Amen? Also, we understand that we have an advocate in Jesus if we do slip up as well. Now, this is, this is great news to me. And 1 John 2, 1 through 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The first step is, is my little children, I am writing these things to you so that what? You may not sin. The whole idea as a Christian is that you are able to live sin free. Now, he says here, these children, I'm writing these things to you. What was John writing? Well, if you look at the uh, ch- end of chapter 1, he was basically saying that God is light. In, in Him there is no darkness at all. And then in 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. The whole idea is for us to walk in the light, to not be going against the severe, you know, getting severe tire damage in our life. That's walking in darkness. Like I said, as Christians, we should be living without sin. You know, we, we read the stuff in the Bible to empower us to, live us to live victoriously, to live completely in victory, overcoming, conquering sin in our life because Jesus has done that for us. And like I said, as Christians, it should be abnormal for us to sin. It's not normal. I recognize that it happens. It's true. We sin. Even your pastor sins from time to time. Everybody does. We're all, we're all people. We sin. But thank God we have an advocate. It doesn't stop there. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You know what an advocate is? It's someone that speaks for us. An advocate is a person who speaks or writes in support or defense of a person, cause. An advocate of peace would be an example. Jesus is an advocate for us. Basically, Jesus goes before the Father and says, Dad, I know they messed up, but I I paid for this already. Don't hold it against them. You already held it against me. So when we slip up, God's wrath is not ignited. His anger is not ignited because that was already poured out onto His Son. Another definition is a person who, ble- who pleads for, on, or in behalf of another, an intercessor. Jesus stands in front of, in my head. I kind of see it as like as an intercessor or stands in behalf. Is is have you ever seen in a movie when somebody's got a gun pointed at somebody, but somebody stands in the way? Say, hey, hey don't shoot. I, that's what Jesus does for us. Is you know what this was already paid for, Dad. It's taken care of. He's an advocate on our behalf. Not that 
God would forget. But even if He were to forget, Jesus would be like, hey, wait a minute, Dad. Don't you remember? This was paid for. And why was that? Why, why can Jesus be that advocate for us? It's because He was a propitiation for our sins. And to, to propitiate something is to, to make favorably inclined or to appease or to conciliate. Jesus appeased the wrath of the Father when He went to the cross for us. The penalty for sin was death, but He paid that for it. He died on the cross for us. So that's the foundation as we go into this that we need to understand. One is that we were never saved by the stuff that we did, but rather by receiving the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And then if we do mess up, we have an advocate in the Father. All is not lost. Amen? So if that's the case, now let's start talking about, as we have that foundation, let's start talking about what we have to do. In Proverbs 24.16, it says, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. You know, victory goes to those who persevere. Like I said, the only way for a Christian to fail is to never get back up. But right here it says, The righteous person falls seven times but rises again. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, as long as you get back up, you will persevere. You will be in victory. But it's the wicked who stumble and stay down. It says they stumble in times of calamity. They stay down. They never get back up. The righteous apparently fall as well. They stumble just as well, but they get back up. The wicked stay down. If you're righteous and you get back up, you will have victory. Anybody here know who Walter Payton is? Walter Payton, he played for the Chicago Bears. He's got, uh, uh, he set a, <clears throat> a record for, for most running yards at one point. 16,000. All-time rushing record of 16,726 yards. The interesting thing about Walter Payton is he was a little guy, especially for the NFL. He was only 5'10". That means he was two inches shorter than I am. And when he ran the ball, that uh, 16,726 yards is over nine miles. He carried the ball for over nine miles in his career. But the interesting thing is is that his average rush was 4.4 yards. That means... In his career, he ran nine miles getting knocked on his butt every 4.4 yards. So how did he still get such a great record? How did he still have... I mean, he, everybody, I mean, everybody knows who Walter Payton is at fall sports even a little bit. So how, how did he achieve that? Because he got back up every 4.4 yards. No matter how hard he was hit, and I can tell you right now that being a little guy in the NFL, there's some big guys that will knock you on your butt. But he got back up every time. It doesn't matter how hard you're hit. As a Christian, if we get back up, we will still have the victory. Amen? You see, it's not the falling that makes you unrighteous. You can't do something bad enough to make God stop loving you as long as you'll get back up. Amen? In Romans eight thirty seven through 39 it says, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
That's not good news. If you get back up, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. There is nothing in all creation that can take that away from you unless you give it back. Unless you stay down. Unless you just give up. Amen? The next thing we need to do is we need to be repentant when we fall. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10, through 10, he says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief, grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now this is Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church. As we know, we get a lot of letters to the Corinthian church. As we learned in Bible study, there was actually three letters written. See, I was listening, Joseph. You didn't know that, did you? Three letters written to the Corinthian church. but We only have two. One of them was lost. But apparently, the Corinthian church had some problems, and Paul was, was, was you know, putting his quill up and smoke right into these guys all the time. But he says that the reason he did it was basically to, to rebuke them and tell them what was going on. And he says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. See, the truth is, when we're messing up, we should be repenting. We should, like I said, when we, when we sin, we should feel that, that going against the grain. We should feel that severe tire damage. And it should cause us to want to make a change. Paul didn't write them with the intention of telling them how worthless they were or how they screwed up or how they were never going to amount to anything, how they were, they were just worthless. But he, he told them, he rebuked them, he, he did it so that they would be grieved into repentance. The goal was for them to be convicted, not condemned. Do you know there's a difference between condemnation and conviction? When we sin, we should feel a check in our spirit. And if there is no check in your spirit when you sin, if you don't feel that that severe tire damage. Man, that's, that's a question you need to be asking yourself. Why is that? Because if you've been made brand new, a new nature inside of you, you should be feeling that. I think that if we, when we get into that habit where we don't even feel the, the, the pain of sinning, the, the remorse of sinning, it's because, one, we've either become jaded or we've just walked away entirely. But we need to be very careful that we don't let ourselves become desensitized to sin in our lives. It should feel uncomfortable. Because when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And like I said, He doesn't condemn us. The difference between conviction and condemnation is this. Condemnation is worldly grief. That's where you're shamed into thinking you're worthless or you're, you're never going to amount to nothing. You're never going to make it. You're, you mess up so many times that I don't even know why you try. That's condemnation, saying that you're condemned to where you're at. And that worldly grief produces death. But godly grief, that's conviction conviction from from those who are over you in the faith, from the Holy Spirit. Conviction produces life. Why does it produce life? Because condemnation says that you are where you are. You can never get out of it. But conviction says, why are you here? You're more than this. You're victorious. You've been saved. You are righteous. This is not who you are. There's still an uncomfortableness, right? You're still being pointed out saying, hey, something is not right here. But conviction says you don't have to stay there. Amen? So the first thing we have to do is repent. Anybody know what repentance is? 
Raise a hand. You've got a couple people that know. Most people think that repentance is just feeling really bad. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance is actually an about face. Repentance is like you were going one way and now you're facing another. If you were facing sin, repentance doesn't mean that you feel really bad and really guilty. And if you can only just feel guilty enough, it's going to be okay. Matter of fact, you don't have to feel guilty for all that long at all. As soon as you feel that conviction, you feel the uncomfortableness, and you turn around and go the other way, you're done with it. That's all repentance. This is turning around and going the other way. Walking away from that sin. And the truth is, is, we all stumble as we go through our life. But in 1 John 1.9 it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So how do we move forward? We know that we all stumble. We all have problems. We just looked at, we need to repent. And then what, do we, what does it look like? Where do we go from there? How do we get back up? when what we have done has the ability to cause so much shame and guilt in our lives. First, like I said, you need to realize, just remember, tell yourself over and over that you're forgiven, that you've already been forgiven. Tell yourself that you are righteous. Tell yourself that you are brand new. That's the first step. If you don't get that, if you don't pull that into your spirit, you're never going to have victory over these things in your life. He says, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And I want you to know this word confess doesn't, think, doesn't mean what you first think in your head. It doesn't mean sitting in the little booth confessing everything that you've done to a priest. Confessing your sins is not coming up and telling your pastor or your wife or your first... You know, it's not, there's not something... We don't have to tell somebody to be forgiven. That's not what it's saying. The, the word confess really means to say the same thing about... And in this case, when we confess our sins, we say the same thing about our sins that God said. What does God say? God says that your sins have been forgiven, that they've been paid for. God says that your sins don't have a hold over you in your life. When we confess our sins, we say, you know what, devil, even though I made a mistake, it doesn't have control over me. It doesn't dictate what my life is. But I've been forgiven. I am free. One of the uh, things I still remember to this day was Pastor Von Gerald at a men's meeting talking about uh, when he goes to God, he, he, if he sins, he says, God, please forgive me. And, and he said that whenever he would pray that, God kept saying to him, I already have. So God, please forgive me for this. Well, I already have. God, please forgive me for this. I already have. Von, get it through your head. I already have forgiven you for those sins. He says, I don't even ask for forgiveness anymore. He says, I just thank God that I have been forgiven. I'll tell you what, that'll bring you great victory in your life if you stop feeling guilty and shameful about your sin and instead say, God, thank God that I am forgiven and thank God that I am uh, completely broken free from the bondage this has in my life. You can say to your sin, you know what, you have no control over me. And thank God that you're forgiven. I'm telling you right now, if you begin to understand sin the same way that God sees sin, if you'll say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin, you'll start to see breakthrough in your life. I think this is what he means by not to stumble in what we say. Right here he says, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, 
He's a perfect man. Abe lost a bridle his whole body. We have to say the right things. If you continually tell yourself that you're not good enough, if you tell yourself that you're a failure, that you're never going to do right, that you're never going to be able to beat this thing, that you're never going to have victory, then you're stumbling in what you say because that's not what the Bible says about you. That's not what the Scripture says about you. What happens is, is we get caught up in looking behind instead of looking ahead. Instead of putting our eyes on Jesus, we put our eyes on ourselves. Make sure you're saying what God says about you and what God says about your sin. Amen? Next, we need to make sure we're not throwing away our confidence. This is one of the things. If we're saying the wrong things, we can easily throw away our confidence. It's easy to say, you know, it's easy to say out loud, I'm righteous in Him, but it's one thing or another to, to lose that confidence and to have confidence in what you're saying, to have conviction in what you're saying. You know, many times it's just the buzzwords. It's just us saying the right things, but the truth is, we need to have a confidence in our spirit that we are forgiven, that we are whole. Amen? And in Hebrews 10.35, it says, through 39, 10.35-39, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere and preserve their souls. This is one of those things here. Aren't you glad we have our, our butt in the right place? He says that, you know, my righteous one should live by faith, but if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And you're like, oh, that stinks. Then he says, but we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who have thrown away our confidence. We are not of those who have given up. Amen? Our confidence is in what Christ has done for us. And it's with endurance, it's with holding on to that, to that promise, that confidence, that reward. He says, don't throw away your confidence, for you have need of endurance. You know, it's going to be times where we're knocked down, we're pushed down. Just like Walter Payton, if he didn't have any endurance, if he didn't endure all that being pushed down, he would never have that record. He would never got back up. And just like us, we have to endure those things that we go through, those things that we struggle with, knowing that we are victorious, having confidence in what Christ has accomplished in us. But as soon as we throw away that confidence, if we begin to doubt what has happened inside of us, that's when we begin to get kicked while we're down. That's when it begins to get hard to get back up. When we begin to tell ourselves, man, how is it that I can be righteous when I'm doing these stupid things? How is it that I can be victorious? I seem to fail every single time. Like I said, if you have that repentant heart, that repentant attitude of heart, as long as you get back up, you are okay. And don't lose your confidence in what Christ has done inside of you. Just because you slipped or fell down doesn't mean that Christ didn't accomplish what He said He did on the cross. It didn't mean that you're not a brand new person. It doesn't mean that you're not victorious, that you've not overcome. It doesn't mean that you're not freed from those things. Sometimes we just need a revelation of us. Sometimes we just need to put our eyes back on Jesus. Sometimes we just need to do that about face. Sometimes we just need to hear it from somebody telling us, like this morning I'm speaking to you. You may not have even have known this morning about these things. No one's ever explained to you these things. The truth is, the only way to disappoint God is to stop having faith that He did what He did. That He is who He says He is. That He'll do what He says He'll do. 
That's what it's talking about here. The righteous one shall live by faith, but if he shrinks back, if he stops having faith, then my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If you want to please God, trust him, believe him, have faith in him. Amen? In Hebrews 12, 1-3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses is, is basically in the chapter beforehand, he's speaking of the, the, uh, the heroes of faith that were mentioned in chapter 11. Abraham, Noah, Jacob, etc. The writer of Hebrews is talking about these great pillars and, he, and, uh, and heroes of faith. And he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary, or faint-hearted. You see, these are the cloud of witnesses that he's talking about, like I said, the heroes of, of, of faith. They're not witnesses in the sense that they're watching us live our lives, but they bear witness to the result of faith in God. They bear witness to the success of Jesus Christ. They bear witness to what happens when you will trust in God. You will have the victory. You will endure he says that we need to run with endurance and set aside every weight. The picture here is of a, of a marathon runner. You guys ever watched Olympic marathon runners? And they, they, they wear almost nothing. They wear these little tiny shorts that no man should ever wear. We see more of their legs than we should ever see of any man's legs. These little tiny silk shorts. They should wear pants. But they want to win, so they wear shorts. And they wear these little tiny tank tops. And they're made of super thin, super light material. And they wear shoes. I don't know if you've ever been down to the, to the shoe store and want to try to pick up racing shoes. They are so light. It's like they're made out of nothing. They're making the soles now what looks like foam rubber. Like this, Not even like, how are these going to last? But the reason is because they're getting rid of every... I mean, they, sh- they shave their legs. Marathon runners shave. You want to know why they shave their legs? Because they say that the wind resistance of the hair on their legs slows them down. Now, I'm not going to argue with people that can run, you know, five-minute miles for 26 miles. If, if the shaving the legs works for them, apparently they're doing something right. But they get rid of everything that causes friction, endurance. They're, they're trying to, to run this race. And as Christians, we should be doing the same thing laying aside every weight of sin, running with endurance, pushing this stuff away. And how do we do that? Why, why would some man be willing to shave his legs and wear those little tiny shorts? I wouldn't. You want to know why they do that? Because they have their eye on the prize. They have their eye on the finish line. They, they have something set before them and they want to win. And they're willing to do what it takes to win. As Christians, we should be doing the same thing. And we have our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's how we lay all that stuff aside. That's how we can lay that sin aside, because we have our eyes on Jesus. 
and we can push it away and run our spiritual short, our spiritual race in tiny spiritual shorts with shaved legs so we can win. Just kidding, Wayne. Don't shave your legs. I'm, this is a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no tiny shorts either. <laughs> you see, to run with endurance is to keep running even when everybody else has stopped for breath. Even when everyone else is giving up. And we do this because of what He's done for us. It says that for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. We were the joy set before Him. And because of that, He endured all manner of things. He was spit on, cussed at, He was beaten, He was cut. And it says, Paul says, Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But you know what? Look what Jesus did for you. If He endured that for you, you can endure this little bit that you're going through. You can push away that sin. You can endure that temptation. Just keep your eyes set on Jesus. Amen? And we talked, uh, we're going to re-go over this briefly. We talked about this um, a couple weeks ago, putting on the new self. In Ephesians 4, 20-24, it says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. And when he says that, he doesn't say that's not the way you learned about Christ. That's the way you learn Christ. That's the way you knew Him. When you learn somebody versus learning about them, it's about having a relationship. It's about being connected. You know, in the United States, there's probably not very many people at all who don't know who Jesus Christ is. But the number of people that have learned Him, have a relationship with Him, is much smaller. But he says that, but that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and the true righteousness and holiness. This is that picture that we were talking about of, of, of your garments, you know, your clothes. He says, put off the old self, those old nasty clothes that you were wearing, and put on the new self, the nice, you know, dress for success. Put off the old self. Put off the old dirty clothes. He says, put off your, which belongs to your former man. Aren't you glad that's your former manner of life? Even when you slip up, even if you mess up and you go back to those old things, that's your former manner of life. That's who you were. That's not who you are. Just because you, you make a mistake, you slip up, that doesn't mean that's who you still are. That's who you were. Kick them old shoes off again. Get those, those dirty clothes off and put on your new self once more. Because that was created after the likeness of God. And like we read earlier, in God there is no darkness. There's only light. In Ephesians 4, 25-27, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, do not sin, do not the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. This is the next part of it. Since we've kicked off that old self, the old clothes, the old dirty garments, and we've put on the new self, what does that look like? Well, here's a brief description. We put away falsehood. We let each of us speak the truth with our neighbor. For we are members of one another. It says, then be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I think that's the important part. Don't give any opportunity to the devil when you're in your new self. Don't put yourself in positions that will cause you to be tempted in sin. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. 
You know, when we're, when we're in our new self, we're in our, those, those beautiful, clean garments of Jesus Christ. We should look like that. We should do the things that someone in that particular outfit would do. Just like we would be, it would be weird to see a football player doing ballet, especially in a full football uniform, or a police officer to be selling drugs. That's for, we'd be remiss if we saw those things. We're like, wait a minute. What he's wearing, the, the uniform that he's wearing, says that he shouldn't be doing those types of things. And when you put on the new self, the same thing is true. We shouldn't be doing the types of things we used to do. It says, go ahead and put away falsehood as well. We need to be speaking the truth to one another. We need to be making sure that we're not lying to one another. A Christian is someone who speaks the truth, particularly in the body of Christ. Did you know that your senses and your body basically tell stuff to your, to your brain so you don't hurt yourself? So you have senses in your hands that if you touch a burning stove, it says, pull back, danger, Will Robinson, that's going to hurt. But you know if your senses were lying to you, you know there's people that, that can't feel pain. Their senses are basically lying to them. They can stick their hand in a pot of boiling water and they don't feel it. Now, does that mean that it's not causing damage? No. In that particular case, those kind of people actually have to be very careful because they can severely damage themselves. They just never feel it because their body is basically lying to them. And the same goes true in the body of Christ or as any Christian. If we, if we lie to each other, it just can cause opportunity for damage to the body. That's why as, as Christians, we should be living in that new self, putting away all falsehood. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is a tough one. One, we learn that anger is not sin. It's okay to be angry. Now, there's a difference between righteous anger and worldly anger, too. You know, if you're, if you're ticked off because somebody ate the last bowl of Cheerios, you're probably not in the right form of anger. But if you're upset at the injustice going on in the world, if it makes you angry that Christians are being killed, that's righteous anger. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says, be angry and do not sin. And he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's another thing, too. When you are angry, you need to deal with it. It's okay to have righteous anger, but it needs to be dealt with in a godly way. Because if not, if you don't deal with anger, if you don't, uh, it can turn into bitterness and cause problems for you. We need to let it go and not let it fester up inside of us so that the devil has an opportunity in our lives. See, the truth is, is that as Christians, even if we fall down, we just need to get right back up, kick off the old garments, put on the new self, and slip right back into who we're supposed to be as believers, who God has created us to be. Amen? Now, we talked about the things that, as individuals, that we need to do if we fall, if we stumble, if we fall down. But I also believe that as a body, we have a responsibility to one another as well. In Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. I think as Christians, we should be able to go to one another and say, Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? Can you walk with me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you check up on me? But you know why nobody does that? Because we're afraid if we go to somebody and say, Hey, I'm struggling in this area, that they're going to think bad about us. They're going to look down at us. And why do they think that? Well, because that's kind of the track record, unfortunately. 
We don't want to be a body like that. People should be able to, we should be able to come to one another and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you please pray for me? Can you help, can you help me be accountable? Can you call on me? Can, we, can I call you if I'm in trouble? And we should never feel shame about that. And being on the other side of it, we should never look down on people who are struggling, who are, are repentant, and they're wanting to get out of it. They're wanting to be victorious. That's not a sign of weakness. That's not a reason to be ashamed. That's a reason to, 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 to be proud of the work that Jesus Christ has done inside of you. That's a reason to look highly on somebody because they, they recognize that they're struggling and they want to get out of that situation. That's, a, that's not someone that's irresponsible. That's somebody who's responsible. And the only caveat I'd have to say on that is, is we do need to be wise about the people that we're helping. That's what he says here. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Basically what that's saying is, is if, you're, if you're a member and you're, you're, you're struggling with gambling, you're addicted to gambling and it's causing all kinds of strife and turmoil in your life and you, you look up and you find yourself in the casino, you probably don't want to call somebody else who's struggling with the same thing. And if you're struggling with the same thing and somebody calls you up and says, hey, I'm in the casino, I could really use your help, and you know you have a problem with that, you should probably say, you know what, this isn't something that I can do because I need to watch myself so that I'm not tempted. But let me put you through to somebody who can. We need to be wise about that, right? But I do believe that as, as Christians, we need to make sure that we're there for one another and helping each other, lifting each other up, restoring them with a spirit of gentleness. Next when we're dealing with stuff and maybe somebody's uh, causing a problem with us, maybe somebody's hurt us in some way, they've offended us in some way, we need to understand that we need to forgive one another as well. And Luke 17, 3-4 says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times again saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Matthew 18, 21-22, says, And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Other translations say seven, seven times seventy times. Basically, the point is, you keep on doing it. You know, there's going to be times that people, even in this church, are going to offend you. They're going to make you angry. They're going to do something that hurts you. But we need to forgive. If they're repentant, we need to forgive and help restore them as well. The problem is, in our society, and even in our own minds, we've set this thing up like, we've even got a saying for it, fool me once, shame on me, fool me, to, or, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Anybody ever heard that saying? You know, we can get over it one time, but if it happens again, forget it. The Scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says that as long as they're repentant, you continue to forgive them and you continue to lift them back up. But I think that's important as we looked at these last two, these last two slides, that as, as Christians, when people are struggling, whether they've sinned against us or they've just sinned around us, that we lift them up. We build them back up and we restore them. Amen? Because when we fall down, as long as we get back up, we are victorious. And it's the believer's responsibility to get back up, but I believe it's our responsibility to help lift people off the mat. Amen? In Psalms 37, 23-25, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. 
Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know, the truth is that when God is delighting in our way, that's what it says here, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way, when the Lord delights in our way. You know, the Lord delights in your way when you're living the life that you've been called to live, when you're living as Jesus Christ has lived. When we stay in step with the Spirit, it says the Lord delights in our way, and He establishes our steps. You know, God is with us as we're walking through our lives. And He will establish your steps. He's going to make sure that you are, are in, in opportunities to live the life that He's called you to live. That doesn't mean that you're not going to face temptation. That doesn't mean that you might not even fall sometimes. But as long as you'll keep your eyes set on Jesus, the Lord delights in your way and He's going to set your steps. He will guide you and He'll keep your way straight if you'll keep your eyes on Him. Amen? And then it goes on to say, David says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I want you to know that if you'll keep getting back up, because we know that, that we're not righteous because of the things we do. We're righteous because of who we are in Christ. And as long as we're in Christ, then we're righteous. And as long as we're in Christ, we'll keep getting back up. As long as we don't stay down and fail completely, as long as we'll get back up, it says that you'll never be forsaken. And not only that, it says he's never seen his children begging for bread. You see, this isn't just about you, but it's a generational thing as well. You are going to make an impact on your family and your kids and your kids' kids, and you're going to see changes if you will walk in his ways. Amen? Amen. And finally, we're going to go ahead and end here. In Philippians three twelve through 15 it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. I always find great encouragement when you see uh, you know, these mighty men of God, figureheads, when you realize that, you know what, they're just like me. It's one of the reasons why I can stand up here confidently and, and comfortably say, hey, yeah, I sin from time to time. Yeah, even your pastor sins. Even your pastor slips up. Because I know when I look at stuff like this, it encourages me in the sense that I realize that, you know what, even some of the greatest men of God struggle. I'm not unique. I'm not different. I'm not a big giant failure because I'm going through these things. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He is the leading authority on the gospel that we know. And he says, not that I have already attained it, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And he says, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I press on, and I move forward. That's encouraging to me. You know, I look at this man, I'm like, man, 
This is Paul we're talking about. I mean, half the time when we preach out of the New Testament, we're preaching the things that he said, that he wrote down. Yet he says, you know what, even I haven't got it all figured out yet. Even I stumble. Even I struggle. But you know what I do? I forget what lies behind. You know, the problem with sin is it begins to make us quickly focused on ourselves. When we look at the sin, we look at the failure, we're looking at ourselves. And we're, instead of looking forward, we're looking behind. We're looking at the past. We're looking at the failures. We're looking at the struggles. When the reality is we should be pressing forward. Seeing what God has accomplished in us. You may have just slipped up, but looking forward, you are victorious. You are conquering. You have overcome. As Christians, the number one thing to recover from falling down is to get back up, to repent, turn away, and look forward to Jesus Christ. And he says that, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is the way we need to be thinking. We recognize that we haven't got it all figured out, but we are going to press on. We are going to move forward towards the prize of the upward of call, God, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we will do those things, we will run the race with endurance, and we will be victorious. Amen. Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.